And thank you, Caleb. Good morning, church. So let's just pop that up there. Caleb just mentioned that um, he said, I love all the room that's down here. So without the elders' permission, uh, we took out the front row, and they haven't even mentioned it yet, except they now know it's been missing two weeks. So we took that front row out to give ourselves more space. What is that, that thing? It's better to ask for forgiveness than permission or something like that. So that's what happened. So what do you reckon? Elders, a good idea? Absolutely. There we go. Great to see you all here this morning. Where, Becky, where are you? Where is she? There she goes. Do you remember the day that I dedicated you? <laughs> I can't remember either. <laughs> but I'm sure it was a good event. I'm sure that it was fabulous. It's lovely to have you here too uh, with the extended whānau. So welcome, you folk. Um, it's lovely to have you here. So if you've got your Bibles with you, turn with me to um, 1 Samuel chapter 4. Now we've been doing a series through uh, Matthew, and we're kind of um, in between all of that, we're going through the whole book of Matthew, but that's going to take some time, and uh, so we've, uh, we kind of just break in every now and again um, to kind of just change things up a little bit. Is that okay that we do that? So we just kind of mix things up, and it depends on what God happens to be saying at the time uh, to, the, uh, to, the, to the elders and the preaching team. So we're just going to shift from, from Matthew into uh, 1 Samuel, and I'm going to do uh, today is number one of a three-part mini-series. Uh, so for the next three weeks, um, uh, you're going to hear about, um, about the, it's about the presence of God and what happens that uh, this morning you'll see we can actually lose the presence of God, and that's kind of a bit of a shock to some people. They can't kind of figure, how can you do that? How can that happen? But I'll prove to you from Scripture that it can happen. Uh, and then we're going to look at what happened, what do we then do when God actually does turn up in that manifest way. And then how many of you know that in life, stuff just comes at us, both good and bad, yeah? Doesn't it? it just come, that's just the nature of humanity. And for some folk, so much stuff will come at them that they kind of diminish in who they are as a person. And people would speak words of negativity perhaps over them or say things that are not helpful. And you can forget who you actually are. Yeah? Some of you can identify with this. And we're going to talk about that from a scriptural perspective. You know what, church? It really doesn't matter who people say you are. What matters is what God says about you. How about that? So that'll be number three, and then we'll probably go back to Matthew. So if you've got 1 Samuel, verses 4, 1 to 11, let me just give you a preamble um, before we read that scripture. Most of you will know that in this church here, those of you that are part of this church, you will know that we have been encouraging each and every one of us to use the God-given gifts that we have been given. Is that true, church? That's what we have been doing. And particularly as we gather as the wider body of Christ as we are this morning, using what God has already given you. Carl, you've got gifts or a gift that I don't have. And we want to see you fly in what you've got. I've got something perhaps that some of you don't have, and hopefully you want to see me fly in what God has given me. And that's true for all of us, isn't it, church? God has given us specific gifts. In fact, 1 Corinthians talks about him giving those gifts to us as he chooses to do it. Not that I choose. 
He chooses to do it. So that also implies that find out how God has wired you. Find out how God has gifted you and run with that. Don't try to be someone that you're not. Yeah? Just be who you are as far as God is concerned. And we have encouraged, in terms of the gifts, we've encouraged words of prophecy here in a public way, words of knowledge, discernment, praying for healing, and we'll do that today. We are not going to stop pursuing who God is and what God promises in His Word. He will do in us so that He can do it through us. Everyone smile. Ah, good smile, that, that young lady right there. What's your name? Dorothy. Welcome, Dorothy. Lovely to have you here. Love that smile. So you've got the gift of encouragement, have you? The gift of smiling. And we've encouraged all of these things. And 1 Corinthians 14, 12, which will come up on the screen, says this. Since you are eager for the gifts of the Spirit, try to excel in those that build up the church. The truth is, God loves his bride. That's the church. He actually loves us. Isn't that an awesome concept? That the God that created the entire universe actually loves you and me. The last few months, we have given very purposefully time and space to experience that manifest expression of who God is, the manifest presence of God. And it's important that we draw a distinction here. His manifest presence is not our knowledge of God, although that is important. That's not what I'm talking about. God's manifest presence is both knowledge and our experience of who God is. As his gifts operate through us, his body, the church. That's what we're talking about here. To that end, we are encouraging each of us to use our gifts that God has already given us. However, do you realize that there's always a but, isn't there? There's always an aha. How about this? However, church, as we begin to do this, as we are, there is a flip side to God doing that in us and through us that we also must be aware of. There's a flip side to his manifest presence, not his knowledge, head knowledge, not the left brain, I'm talking about the right brain, where we expect God to come in tangible, demonstrative ways. But there is a flip side to that. We can actually lose the sense of the Holy Spirit we can lose that sense of his presence. It's kind of when God will withdraw himself from us to the degree that our gatherings become predictable, dull, repetitive, a kind of a ho-hum religious experience. And who wants that? Not me. That's for sure. And not you, I am sure. Because none of that does anything to build up the body of Christ, does it? So the title of this message is, Can We Lose the Manifest Presence of God? And in 1 Samuel 4 will help us to understand that this can, in fact, happen. So let's read 1 Samuel 4, 1 through 11. 
And I'm reading from the NIV. 1 Samuel 4, verses 1 through 11. So it starts with this. And Samuel's word came to all Israel. Now the Israelites went out to fight against the Philistines. The, The Israelites camped at Ebenezer and the Philistines at Apek. The Philistines deployed their forces to meet Israel. And as the battle spread... Israel was defeated by the Philistines, who killed about 4,000 of them on the battlefield. When the soldiers returned to camp, the elders of Israel asked, Why did the Lord bring defeat on us today before the Philistines? Let us bring the ark of the Lord's covenant from Shiloh, so that he may go with us and save us from the hand of our enemies. Hold on to that thought. Verse 4, So the people sent men to Shiloh, and they brought back the ark of the covenant of the Lord Almighty, who was enthroned between the cherubim, and Eli's two sons, Hophni and Phinehas, were there with the Ark of the Covenant of God. And clearly that baby agrees. When the Ark of the Lord's Covenant came into the camp, all Israel raised such a great shout that the ground shook. Hearing the uproar, the Philistines asked, what's all this shouting in the Hebrew camp? When they learned that the ark of the Lord had come into the camp, the Philistines were afraid. A God has come into the camp, they said. Oh, no, nothing like this has happened before. We're doomed. Who will deliver us from the hand of these mighty gods? They are the gods who struck the Egyptians with all kinds of plagues in the wilderness. Be strong, Philistines. Be men, or you will be subject to the Hebrews as they have been to you. Be men and fight. Verse 10. So the Philistines fought. And the Israelites were defeated, and every man fled to his tent. The slaughter was very great. Israel lost 30,000 foot soldiers. The ark of God was captured, and Eli's two sons, Hophni and Phinehas, died. Have any of you ever experienced, if you're believers here today, which would probably be most of you, Have any of you experienced in your walk with God times, and I want you to be honest here, times when God seemed far away? Hands up. Yep, and me too. Me too. Perhaps you've felt disconnected from God, that somehow his presence over your life has just kind of just faded away. Well, that's what happened here for Israel. And church, it was a big deal. It really was. Chapters 4 to 6 of 1 Samuel focus on an object that the Israelites call the Ark of the Covenant. Now, the Ark of the Covenant was really, really important because it represented Israel's special relationship with God. Anyone here seen the movie Raiders of the Lost Ark? So if you've seen the movie, you'll have some understanding um, Uh, of the ark, at least um, from Hollywood's perspective anyway. But don't take this too literally. Well, actually, Hebrews 9 describes the ark of the covenant. It's important to know this. It was a wooden chest overlaid with gold. There were two gold cherubim, which are kind of um, uh, cherubim. They're a bird-like creature, but they're more more kind of a heavenly bird-like, angelic kind of creature. Thank you, Anna. It contained the gold jar of manna, Aaron's staff, the one that budded, and the stone tablets of the Ten Commandments. So they were inside this this, this golden chest. So for Israel, 
Um, and the other thing to, to know is that the Ark of the Covenant, not like today, but the Ark of the, the Covenant was in effect for the nation of Israel um, spiritually and relationally. It was the physical manifestation of the presence of God on earth amongst them. Hold that thought. That's really, really important. So for Israel to lose the ark itself, this physical box, gold box, was tantamount to actually losing God. You get the connection? So let's get the context here. 1 Samuel describes a battle um, between Israel and the enemies, the Philistines. When it was clear that the Philistines had won the first engagement, the Israelites sent men to Shiloh to bring the Ark of the Covenant um, uh, to the battlefield, supposing that its presence, kind of like a good luck charm, would turn the tide of battle. And Joshua 6 tells us that the Ark did represent um, the presence of God in battle, because there are times when they would carry it before them in battle, but only if they carried it in faith, and secondly, and this is key, only if they did so because God told them to. Yeah? Well, after the first defeat at the hands of the Philistines, they lost 4,000 foot soldiers. Look, just, we shouldn't skim over this. That's 4,000 young men, um, husbands and, and sons and um, uh, uh, um, uh, fighting men. 4,000 of them lying in the sand dead. 4,000 in one battle. So they went and got the ark supposing that it would be like a kind of good luck charm, and brought it back into the fight for the second battle. Listen to this. However, to their dismay, the presence of the ark did absolutely nothing, not a thing, to prevent the second defeat, this time 30,000 of their husbands and sons are lying dead on the battlefield. That's a lot of blood. 34,000 of their soldiers killed in two short battles. And here's the reason. The reason is really, really simple. Because God had not told them to bring the ark into this fight. They did it themselves. They did it of their own decision-making, their own choices. In fact, they cut God right out of the equation and says, this is what we will do. And then that was the result. They acted on their own initiative. And God's presence in this particular battle had completely departed from them. Isn't that tragic? The Philistines captured the ark. They took it to their own city, Ashdod, it's called. It is in that sense that Israel had lost the presence of God. Now, that's kind of got everyone's attention. How about we lighten the atmosphere a little bit? Let me tell you a funny story. Two brothers, age 8 and 10, were getting into a heck of a lot of trouble. 
Reminds me of our son Joseph and Micah Alp when they set fire to the fence at the back of this car park all those years ago. And the, Anyway, let's move on. <laughs> anyway, so these two lads were getting into a lot of trouble. Their mother brought them uh, to the pastor uh, to see if he could help straighten them out. The pastor talked with the younger brother first. He looked at the young boy and he asked him, Where is God? The boy's eyes opened wide, but he didn't answer, so the pastor asked him again more forcefully this time, Where is God? The boy began to squirm in his seat, so the pastor asked yet another time in a very, very firm voice this time, Young man, answer me, where is God? At that, the boy leaped out of his seat, ran out the door past his brother who's waiting to come in next. His brother said, wait up, wait up, why are you running? To which the younger brother replied, we're in big trouble this time, mate. God is missing and he think we did it. (laughs) It's okay to have fun in church, isn't it? Actually, um, going back to Joseph and Micah, our, our boys, they did set fire to the jolly fence. Fire engines turned up from around the road here. They were all out there and they're spraying water and doing their thing. And, um, and the, the chief fire officer came over to me, because in those days you had to pay $1,000 if you got it. It was a, kind of a false call-out, but it was a real call-out because it was actually on fire. And, um, and, I, and I was not happy, I can tell you. I was not a happy father. Uh, and I think John was in the same boat. Anyway... Um, uh, the, the, fire, the, the, the officer said, so, um, so what do you want to do about this? And then we said, we want you to put the fear of God into both of them. Tell them that they are in big, big trouble. They have to front up with $1,000 to pay for this. <laughs> anyway, that was never going to happen. But we did get them. The boys, both boys had to write a letter of apology to the chief fire officer for what they had done. So there must be accountability. They've never done it since. So here's the question. Is it possible then, church, after everything that I've just explained, is it possible, do you think, to lose the presence of God? Well, obviously, we can't lose God in the sense that God has disappeared because God is omnipresent. He is in all things at all times. That's who he is. But we can lose God in this sense, having known and experienced his presence we can lose connection and intimacy with him when we choose to go and do things our way. And boy, have I experienced that in my walk with him. Anyone else? I have. And we will see from this passage how it happened to the Israelites. And if we follow their example, how it can just as easily happen to us too. Okay. Four, four, four very quick points. The first mistake that they made, they substituted God's word for their own wisdom. Look at verses 1 to 3. Here's the scene. The Israelites and the Philistines, they both set up their respective camps. The troops move out to meet in battle and Israel is soundly defeated. 4,000 soldiers killed in one day. Now here's, here's my question. Wouldn't you think after that sound defeat, that consulting God would have been a good idea. You think maybe? Just go and ask him. What did we do wrong here? 
What did we miss? Incredibly, they don't bother doing that. They never went to Samuel their prophet or Eli the priest who would speak to God on their behalf. This is Old Testament we're talking about now. We can talk to God ourselves right now. You and me, that we don't have to go through the pastor or the priest or the elders or anything like that. We can talk to God and he will hear our call. But in those days, it was either through the prophet or through the priest. They didn't even bother doing that. Instead, we find them consulting themselves and then rationalizing the situation. And boy, don't we do that well. Verse 3, listen to this. When the soldiers returned to camp, the elders of Israel asked, why did the Lord bring defeat on us today before the Philistines? Notice the first person they blamed was God. The original sin, Garden of Eden. That's what Satan said. He said, did God say you can't really do that? So it's got to be God's fault. Hold that thought. The second thing, they continued without consulting God. Let us bring the ark of the Lord's covenant from Shiloh so that he may go with us and save us from the hand of our enemies. Now, now, now listen, church. There is nothing wrong with tapping into your life experience. There is nothing wrong with using our intellect, using our brain. God gave you a brain. Please use it. There's nothing wrong with those things. We need to tap into our experience and use our intellect. But if you want a godly outcome, don't you need God's guidance as well? Hello? This is not difficult. Proverbs 16.9 says this, that we should make plans. Yes, we should, absolutely. But we are also to consult God and ask Him to direct our steps. He makes our path straight. Making good and godly decisions requires that we work with him, not against him. Here's the point. If you find yourself coming up against the same obstacles, constantly going around and around the same mountain, struggling to break through, wouldn't it make sense to ask God for his help wouldn't it? Proverbs 3, 5, and 6 says exactly that. Trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge him, listen, and he will make your path straight. That's a definite article. He will make your path straight. Israel didn't even bother to consult God. Instead, they relied solely on their human understanding rather than seeking God's will for the situation. You know, it's a complete mystery uh, to me. When faced with an important decision, how many believers seek the world's way first before they seek God? Complete mystery to me. But there you have it. That's often what happens. Number two, number two, coming out of this particular passage, can we lose the presence of God? And this is one that, boy, I think all of us are probably guilty of, at least by degrees. They tried to manipulate God for their own ends, for their own outcome. Look what the elders came up with at the end of verse 3. They said this, Let us bring the ark of the Lord's covenant from Shiloh, so that it may go with us and save us from the hand of the enemies. They basically said, 
let's bring the ark into battle with us, then God will have to give us victory. He's got no choice, surely. Hey, Miriam. Yes. And they do this without consulting God at all. Foolishness, really. You know, church, we can do the same. We can do the same. Have you ever tried to strike a bargain with God? Don't put your hand up, please. But I have. And Nairi and I have. Yeah, hey, Nairi. Tried to strike a bargain with God. Like this. God, if you will do such and such for me, I will do this for you. That kind of thing. Well, that's manipulation, church. And God's not listening. He won't succumb to manipulation. But he will respond when we instead go to him with an open heart and open hands and say, God, I need some help. And he's in, he's right there in the center of that. You just invite him in and he's right there with you. That's the God we served. We serve when we invite him in to the situation and seek his wisdom and solution. Number three out of this passage, their focus was on religious objects rather than on God. Verses three and four says this, let us bring the ark of the Lord's covenant from Shiloh so that it may go with us and save us from the hand of our enemies. So the people sent men to Shiloh and they brought back the ark of the covenant of the Lord Almighty who was enthroned between the cherubim. Did you notice that in those verses how the Israelites are now depending on an it, an IT, inverted commas, and it, an object, rather than he, God, the person. They don't say, let us bring the ark of the Lord so that he may go with us into battle. They didn't say that. They said, let us bring the ark so that it may save us from our enemies. Sadly, the Israelites here now are trusting in an it rather than he, God. Now, church, hear, the, hear, hear me on this. I've got no problem with religious symbols, none whatsoever. Crosses, we do communion, the elements represent the body and blood of Jesus Christ. I've got no problem with any of that, um, any of that kind of thing. But any time you focus on a religious symbol rather than the God it represents, you're substituting ritual for relationship. And God ultimately is a God of relationship. He's interested in you. He's not interested in the cross you wear around your neck. He's not interested in the statue of Mary that you might have in the corner somewhere in the cupboard. He's not interested in any of those things. They're fine in and of themselves, but they are inanimate objects. They are simply things. What he's really interested in is you. He's interested in you, you the person. What's going on in your life? He's interested on, in the distance that may have occurred between you and him. Maybe once you were close, now he seems miles away. He's interested in all of that. But wearing a cross around your neck, I've got no issue with the cross, but that is not a substitute for relationship. Yeah? 
fact, religious symbols are not the subject. They're the object, and the subject is God. And the fourth point, we'll land this one quickly. The fourth reason why they lost the presence of God. And I guess this is where the rubber meets the road, or it certainly does for me. They expected God's blessing without repentance. Verses 4 and 5. And Eli's two sons, Hophni and Phinehas, were there with the Ark of the Covenant of God. When the Ark of the Lord's Covenant came into the camp, all Israel raised a such a great shout that the ground shook. Now, that first line, when you study this stuff, that first line is really, really telling. It says, Eli's two sons, Hophni and Phinehas, were with the Ark. Stay with me. If you go back to chapter 2, which I don't want you to do right now, but I'll tell you what happens. Anna, stop. If you go back to chapter 2, Hophni and Phinehas were the two sons of Eli who were abusing the priesthood. And all of Israel knew about it. The whole nation knew. Here are two individuals responsible for attending the nation's most holy and sanctified symbol of God's presence while choosing to live in rebellion against um, the Bible, uh, against God. And the Bible calls that sin. And in fact, the sin specifically of these two characters, they were um, stealing from the offerings that people were bringing into the temple and sleeping with the woman priestesses in the temple. That's pretty big stuff, isn't it? Well, that's what they were doing, and the whole nation knew. And the Bible calls that sin. Now, I'm not talking about sin that we commit unconsciously, because we all do that. We're all sinners. In fact, the Apostle Paul, that great man himself, he describes himself as the worst of sinners, if you read 1 Timothy. And he wrote almost a quarter of the New Testament. God chose him to write most of the latter part of the New Testament. Go figure. And he was the chief of sinners. So there's hope for me and there's hope for you. So we're not talking about just sin that we do unconsciously. The word sin in this context is sin, it's knowing an intentional sin. It's a conscious choice to live our way rather than God's way. That's what we're talking about here. They knew exactly what, was, what they were doing, those two characters, Hophni and Phinehas, but they still chose to go that way. Isaiah 59 uh, 2 says this, that kind of thing will separate us from God. And if I'm living that kind of lifestyle where I'm choosing to go down that rabbit hole, not unconsciously, I wake up in the morning and trip over something on the floor and I, maybe a word just pops out that shouldn't pop out. And, and, and that's, that's an unconscious kind of thing. But when I'm choosing of my own free will to go against what God is asking me to do as a follower of Jesus, that's sin. It really is. And it's a big deal. Isaiah 59.2 says about that, But your iniquities have separated you from God, and your sins have hidden his face from you, so that he will not hear. When I'm living in, if I'm living in that kind of lifestyle, consciously, 
and I get into a difficult situation and I cry out to God because I remember where, where, what it was like before. Does God hear you? Yeah, He does. Will He respond? I'm not sure. I don't know. Maybe. Maybe not. But this I can guarantee you. Because there's a flip side to that. The other side is this. But when we confess our sin, He, God, willingly opens, openly accepts us back to Himself. Connection and intimacy is restored. When we come before Him and say, God, you know, I dropped the ball there. Openly and honestly, and he takes us back, church, in a heartbeat. Absolute heartbeat. That's the God of grace. That's the God of mercy. That's the God we worship today. Okay, let's land this. Carl, please bring the team up. So the question was at the beginning, is it possible to lose the manifest presence of God. Is it possible, having once walked with Him and felt the warmth of His embrace, the love that comes only from the Father, that takes me just as I am, having experienced that, having experienced the the joy of that moment in time when you knew that you were set free. Is it possible to lose that? And the answer is yes, it is. Resoundingly so. We can lose the joy and the peace and the confidence and the certainty that God's presence guarantees. But you know, church, equally, a relationship that is fragmented even severed, even shattered, can be restored by simply coming back and saying, God, here I am. Take me as I am. And he does. You know, the most beautiful story of that is the prodigal son. There's no relationship that God cannot restore. There's none. There might be in our thinking, Satan, the enemy, will try to convince you that you can't be restored. And he's very good at that because he's the, he's the father of lies. That can happen. But from God's perspective, he's always open, willing and wanting and waiting. There is no relationship that he cannot restore because God is a relationship-driven God. That's who he is. It is his pleasure to restore that which has been lost and we will see that if you come next week, we will see that in part two of this series um, when we look at 1 Samuel 6, which essentially, essentially is what do we do then when God does turn up? So turn up next week and find out. So listen, team, if you feel that God is far away, if you're feeling that in your spirit this morning, your loss of connection between you and God, there's an easy fix to that.
Proverbs talks about, if you seek me, you will find me. If you seek me with all your heart. So can we lose God? We can't lose him, as in he can never be found. But we can absolutely lose that connection, the intimacy, the confidence that that brings, the certainty that that brings of our future. Um, the security that that affords. We can lose that. We can lose that in a heartbeat when we choose to go that way instead of that way. So God is always drawing us back to himself. That's what he does. So I want you to ask yourself this question. Where am I this morning with regards to this question? Have I lost the presence of God from my life? And only you can answer that, and that's between you and him. Please stand, church. That's between you and him. Well, what we do in this church, as I kind of explained right at the very beginning, is um, we are very deliberately... Oh, look, it's only seven minutes past. No, ten past. I've got 20 more minutes to preach. Sit down. <laughs> Just kidding. You're right. Relax. We're not religious around here, believe me. Um, we're very much a church that is, we believe in the gifts of the Spirit. Uh, we believe in all of them. Uh, we believe in making room for God to do what only God can do because, as you know, um, we can only do so much in and of ourselves. Um, we believe that, that, that God uh, is, is not just a, um, uh, an intellectual thing, that God is actually a person. And he manifests amongst us by his spirit. And that you carry gifts, and a gift or gifts, that, 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 that help build up the body of Christ. But we also believe in all of that because knowing full well that in that kind of environment, um, it can be also misunderstood, the Spirit of God and how the Spirit of God operates. So understand this. Please know this. When you're operating in a gift that God has given you, maybe a gift of prophecy, a word of knowledge, you're going to pray for someone for healing, hopefully this morning that's what will happen. Um, you're going to pray for someone for salvation. Um, um, you want to encourage somebody. Um, you're, di you're discerning something that's going on. All of those things. Whatever God does with us, he always builds people up, not down. He never condemns. He never makes us feel small or insignificant. He never reminds us of our past. Satan does that, and he's very, very good at it. But he does remind us of our future, doesn't he? He reminds us of our future, the promises of his word, which are yes and amen. God is a restoring God. You know, I was um, 27 when I came to faith, genuinely came to faith. 27. And I can tell you, church, that when I gave my life to Jesus, I had 27 years of unlearning to do. I'd already managed to butcher one marriage, and that's true. Now my wife of 38 years right here, 
I can promise you the marriage is good and we've proved that second marriages can work. We are living examples of that because of this wonderful woman. You know what's been the glue that's held it all together? Darling, it's been our faith, hasn't it? It's been our faith. So I can talk from experience as a divorcee, completely butchered that first one. I take responsibility for that, but I'm not going to tell you the details. A second time around the mountain, I did come to faith, and the rest is history. And God made me a pastor. Jeepers, I'm thinking, do you know what you're doing, God? But he did, and here we are. So that's what God can do. He's a restoring God. So if you're here this morning and you're thinking that somehow, God, you're miles away and, and, and there's no way that I can come back. There's no way that you'd accept me, the sinner. Well, welcome to my world. If he can do it for me, he can do it for you. So Carl, you lead us in this song. Um, I'm sure that at some point we're going to invite people up for prayer, but let's just sing the song first. Let's sing the song first. Um, and let's just see what the Holy Spirit does. Are you with me, church? Let's not control this. Let's just pass to the presence of God and see what God does. Thanks, mate. I love you, Lord. What are you thinking? I see people flicks of colors. Everyone's got a flick of color. And together it comes to be really beautiful. And what people think is broken are just beauty. When into the church broken is built up into beauty. It's good. You need to come down and stand with me because I'll get you to share that. Okay. Right now? No, no. One. Some part during the song. I'll tell you when. Of I love you, Lord. I'm just going to get here that's going to share um, oh, something at some point. What's going on? All my days I've been held in Goodness of God. God. 
Is it on? Yep, it is. So you've got a, got a word, a picture that God has given you. Just share that with us, please. So I just see colour. I see everyone's got a fleck of colour. And the opal stone is a, a reflection of all little colours. And that's what the church is. It's just flecks of colour. People look at it and think it's broken, but it's not. It's beautiful. And I see colour over different people all over. I just, I see colour and it's beautiful. Uh, it glimmers it glimmers and when the light shines every facet of that colour is phenomenal it's so beautiful and that's what God sees in his church awesome church um, we are going to invite Flake if you'd like prayer for anything we'd love you to come down the front however if you're here for the first time and that's a big, big step that's fine you could ask someone around you to pray with you or for you. Just tap someone on the shoulder. If, if you trust them, just get them to pray for you. But if you're here this morning and you'd like a prayer for healing, we're talking about physical healing now specifically, um, please come down. We'd love to pray that into your life. Uh, if it's a relationship thing, if it's um, whatever it happens to be, we'd love to pray with you and for you. Please don't leave here this morning without a touch of the Master's hand over your life. After that, we'll see you out in the cafe and have some coffee with you. So it's up to you. If you want to come on down, please do. You're good.